All right, all you goys, <laughs> as Brother Aver likes to call us facetiously. Of course, we are the true Israelites, the Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, and Caucasian people, meeting here regularly at Eurofolk Radio. Today is August 14th. This is the voice of Christian Israel. And unfortunately, unable to contact Pastor Martins again. It looks like the Internet service in South Africa is deteriorating. We haven't been able to get through to Pastor Martins in the last couple of weekends. So I've decided to do a study on the Khazar conversion to Judaism. And I just posted the link in the chat room. And this is entitled, A Study of the Anonymous Khazar Letter from the Geniza of Cairo. So I I think I just made a realization that on this subject, I should be accessing Russian sources uh, and find ones that have been translated into English, in, if possible, because they, the Russians are the ones who overthrew the Khazar kingdom. And I forget the exact year. I think this article will actually talk about it. But in general, the, the Khazar conversion to Judaism occurred roughly around the year 74 AD, as my research indicates that what happened was the Khazars were becoming a very, very powerful nation in their own right. They were flanked on one side by the Byzantine Empire and the other side by the Muslims. So, and both sides wanted to enlist the Khazars in their military against the other. And so the Khazars realized, well, if they do that, then they'll be enemies of the side they reject. And so that wasn't part of their plan. They would rather stay independent. And so what they did was, instead of adapting Islam or Christianity, they decided to accept Judaism. And that's how they accepted Judaism. This is well known. You will find all kinds of Jewish websites who who claim that this is a lie and that this never happened, but there's so much information on this everywhere that it's absurd to even try to deny it. But yes, the Jews will deny everything as relates to them because they cannot have it understood that the Jewish people, 95% of them, are in fact Khazars and not Israelites at all. And this is the knowledge that they wish to withhold from the public. So, We're going to take a deep dive into this situation here. Uh, Hold on, I have to copy this from one browser to the other. And let's see, so I have to go back to the one browser. I thought I had copied it already, but I guess it didn't take. So here we go, I'm going to try to put it. 740, what did I say? Yeah, around 740 AD, yeah. Okay, and there is the link. Oops, sorry, I have to log in. Always challenges here. And, okay, successfully logged in. I have to silence the uh, button that clicks whenever somebody posts something. So here we go. There it is. Okay, Percy. All right, so the Khazar conversion to Judaism and the related stories. 
Okay, here we go. This is entitled, A Study of the Anonymous Khazar Letter from Geniza of Cairo by Constantine Zuckerman. Now, uh, Zuckerman could be a Jewish name. It could be a German name. It could be a transplanted German in Russia. It could be any of those things, right? So let's uh, let's get into the article here. An anonymous Hebrew letter from the Geniza of Cairo, now in Cambridge, describes a recent raid by the Rus on the Byzantine Terry. Of course, the, the Rus were, in fact, Israelites that had taken over Russia. And uh, I believe the name Russia, or Rus, derives from Rosh, who was a grandson of Benjamin, because we have the not only the Danish uh, Vikings, who are Israelites, paganized Israelites, of course. We have the sea wolves of Benjamin who had a similar profession, namely getting into ships and raiding (laughs) established communities. So what they were doing in their latter days, all of these uh, paganized Israelite tribes, were they, they were raiding the Christianized cities of Europe, including England, Paris, you name it, And this war between the Christianized Israelites and the pagan Israelites raged raged on for probably a thousand years before finally they were all converted to Christianity, pretty much by the sword, okay? Giving the lie to the uh, the claim that uh, Christianity is a wimpish religion, okay? It didn't used to be, it is today, but it didn't used to be, okay? So... He describes a recent raid by the Rus on the Byzantine territory, which resembles in detail the well-known attack of 941. The writer presents himself as a subject of Joseph, the king of the Khazars, at the time of the raid, and thus as a contemporary of the event. He names the king of the Rus before and during the raid Helgo, or Helgu, read Helgi, H-E-L-G-I which is the original Scandinavian form of the name of the king of the Rus, Oleg, O-L-E-G. Yet Oleg, according to the chronology of the Russian primary chronicle, had been dead in 1941 for almost 30 years. Since first edited by Solomon Schechter in 1912, the letter presented the students of ancient Russian history with a difficult challenge. Most simply chose to ignore its existence. Others claim that the letter is a modern fake. That is, the Jews obviously claim that it's a fake. And whatever evidence produced to support it had been faked as well. So, okay, so here's a footnote here. It looks like it should, I should read it. The term Rus designates in this study the predominantly Scandinavian warriors and traders who subjugated Eastern Slavic and Finno-Baltic tribes in the 8th to 10th centuries. The adjective Russian is applied to the state which emerged from the amalgamation of the Rus and the conquered tribes and which was, starting from the mid-10th century, increasingly Slavic in character. However, it was ruled by the Israelite kings descended from David, known as the Tsars, okay? They a perpetual reign of David's throne on earth as prophesied in Scripture. So let's scroll down to the next page. So it says, 
Others claimed that the letter is a modern fake and whatever evidence produced to support it had been faked as well. One did not bother to check the manuscript. Even scholars who gave closer attention to the text were often skeptical. They contested the writer's claim to be a contemporary of the events described, or if a contemporary, he was accused of mixing them all up. But efforts were also made to accommodate for his data. Wars unattested to in other sources were inserted at convenient dates, and the shaky edifice of the Russian Chronicles chronology was shattered even more. It has been long admitted, though, for reasons independent of the Geniza letter, that the chronology of the Chronicles is, for the period in question, largely artificial. So hopefully the Geniza letter will fill in the blanks. The students of Khazar history treated the Geniza letter with misgivings of their own. They noticed discrepancy, notably the description of the Khazar's conversion to Judaism, between the letter and the text which had long become the cornerstone of all research in the field. The reply of Khazar King Joseph to the Jewish courtier of the Caliphs of Cordova. And in that letter, King Joseph of the Khazars stated that we are descended not from Shem, but from Japheth through Ashkenaz and Togarma, in part, yeah, especially Ashkenaz. The latter source, known in two versions, is generally recognized as problematic, yet the version which is now called for called the short was printed as early as 1577. The long version, incomplete at the end but more elaborate on several points, was published in 1879. The authority of the reply being firmly established, the, the author of the Geniza letter was taxed with omission and neglect when his description of the events was found to be somewhat different. Well, of course, like every case that comes before the court, different witnesses have differing accounts. So this does not mean that they necessarily contradict one another, especially when we're going back this far into history. Everybody disagrees. <laughs> so let's try to get to the bottom of this. What really happened? So the letter, so the Geniza letter is a letter not commonly discussed as much as Joseph's reply to the origin of, and establishing the origin of the Khazar people uh, under Ashkenaz and not uh, under Japheth and not under Shem. So of this, there is absolutely no doubt. Uh, numerous historians have quoted this letter and numerous Arab scholars, in addition, describe the Khazars as Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog being another descendant of Japheth. So it was understood in those days by everybody, even the, the Khazars themselves, that they were not descended from Shem, but from Japheth. So let's continue. The letter's data on the Khazars and the Rus are so closely interwoven, however, that they can only be judged jointly on the basis of a comprehensive examination of the source. So do they contradict each other? Or do they simply come from different authors, citing different facts, all of which be germane to the subject? In this study, I suggest a way out of the present disarray. First, the letter survey of the Khazar history is examined and confronted with evidence available from other sources. This exercise confirms the value of the letter account of the Khazar's conversion to Judaism, 
and corroborates its version of the more recent events. It involves a revision of the commonly accepted dates of the conversion. In the second part of the study, the traditional dates of the Russian chronicles for King Oleg and for his successor Igor are revised in their turn. I believe it was Igor who is commemorated riding on a horse and attacking a Khazar soldier, a foot soldier, foot soldier, who had the star of Rabbi David on his shield. And there's a statue, I believe it's in Kiev. There's an actual statue commemorating that event in Kiev. So these are revised in turn. So basically the author is saying, based on facts uh, taken from both Joseph's letter and the Geniza letter, he is reconstructing the events and hopefully comes up to with a better solution to the quandary, uh, such as it is, which is, in my opinion, not a quandary at all. It's it's absolute fact that the Khazar Jews, the so-called Ashkenazi, are absolutely not Shemites, and therefore they cannot be Israelites. But let's continue. All right, in the second part of this study, the traditional dates of the Russian chronicles for King Oleg or his successor Igor are revised in their turn. While the impetus for the revision comes from the Geniza letter, I hope to be able to show that an attentive new reading of the Chronicles provides a basis for a new, firm chronology. All right, section A, the Geniza letter. Some preliminary remarks. The Geniza letter was recently edited anew by Norman Golb, G-O-L-B, with a historical commentary by Omelian Pritzak. Gold presents a much improved reading and reconstruction of the texts, as well as an exact translation in English, which I quote or paraphrase below. In a couple of cases, though, my reconstruction of damaged passages differs from Gold's. The editor's paleographic analysis sets the manuscript in the late 11th century. Thus, the copy of the text which came to us is probably not removed from the events that it describes by more than a century and a half. The beginning and the end of the letter are lost, and so are the names of the writer and the addressee. Its contents, however, present the writer as a Jewish Khazar, subject of King Joseph, whom he calls his lord. As for the addressee, an important observation by Gold makes certain what was before a learned guess. The Khazar King Joseph was known to scholars from his exchange of letters with Hasid ibn Shaprut of Cordova, who's a, with, oh, sorry, Hasdai ibn Shaprut of Cordova, uh, probably a Spanish Jew. In the missive the, to Joseph, which provoked the famous reply, Hasdai tells of his long-standing interest in Khazaria and of his efforts to obtain information about it. And I think the letter was a request by this rabbi to because he had heard of the conversion of a large kingdom in the east to Judaism, and he wanted to get confirmation of this as a fact. And that's why he wrote the letter to King Joseph of the Khazarias. Okay? So, The aim of our letter is to satisfy this kind of curiosity. 
Hasdai describes the futile attempt of his emissary, Isaac Bar-Nathan, yeah, he's a Jew, <laughs> not, not a Muslim, to secure assistance at the Byzantine court in order to reach Khazaria. The letter is destined for a person living in a country on the Mediterranean whose messengers are said to be visiting Constantinople. Ever since its initial publication, therefore, it has been assumed that the letter's addressee was none other than Hasdai ibn Shaprut. Now, Golb has shown that the two folios which contain this text belong to the same codex as another letter from Province, which was clearly intended for Hasdai. The Geniza collection in Cambridge contains fragments of five letters to and from Hasdai ibn Shaprut, originating in three different codices. They seem to be linked in one way or another to Hasdai's diplomatic activities on behalf of the Caliph of Cordova. Now, of course, we should all know that the Jews assisted the Muslims in overthrowing Spain, Catholic Spain, when they invaded, and the Jews opened the gates of several cities while the Christians were asleep, wore yellow armbands to differentiate themselves from the Christians, and allowed the Muslims to charge in and basically slaughter Christians in their sleep, okay? So the Jews are guilty of this kind of subversion and trickery throughout their history, no less in Spain than anywhere else. Okay, but he, uh, so in other words, this correspondence was approved of by the Caliph of Cordova. But their main common ground is Hasdai's continuous involvement with Jewish communities outside Andalusia. Golb suggests that these collections of Hasdai's correspondence, or are those rather copies of one in the same collection, were originally prepared by Hasdai's secretary, Menahem ibn, ibn Saruch. Three of these letters, very little is left of the fourth, are so specific in the matters discussed that one would never suspect a forgery. This is notably the case of the letter from province, which is coupled with the Khazar letter. Thus, the letter's manuscript, Convoy, enhances its authenticity. Well, such a letter... Uh, deemed to be of such great importance by the Jews of Cordova that w the letter would have been escorted by a convoy or attached to a convoy of, uh, let's say, a caravan that would be very much protected with soldiers, etc. So this letter, because of its importance, would be a part of a caravan. Let's continue. All right, this argument is not new. With much poorer manuscript evidence at hand, it had been advanced by Mikhail I. Artemanov. It is worth repeating, though, since it seems to have escaped the most recent student of the text, Anatoly P. Novoselchev. Novoselchev admits the letter as a 10th century document, yet disturbed by the appearance of the Russian king Oleg, claims that the author displaces the real historical facts rather freely, unquote. He affirms that the text was actually produced after the collapse of the Khazar state in 969 and not, as the author implies throughout, when this state was at the height of its power. Novoselchev alleges the following proof of the author's confused way of dealing with the facts. Well, it's probably just a matter of, of 
news traveling very slowly in those days, right? Oh, uh, yeah, the Khazar kingdom already collapsed. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. In one place, the author calls King Joseph apparently the last Khazar ruler, his lord, Adonai. Yet at the end of the treatise, he addresses some other lord of his, Adonai, and tells him what any Khazar should have known in any case. It is remarkable that the author of the treatise then mentions the messengers of his second lord. Novoselchev concludes that the author found a new lord after the destruction of the Khaganate, perhaps ahead of one of the Jewish communities in Byzantium, and composed at his request, from memory, from rumors, and partly from books, a kind of memo on Khazaria. That's, that's certainly a possibility, but he got it from a Jewish source. Rather than taking the author for a schizophrenic, however, who could boast as present and real power of a people dispersed and of a state which had just been destroyed, I would cast in doubt Novoselchev's understanding of the letters Hebrew. Adonai, my lord, is the way the author refers to his king in narrating the events of his reign. Then in speaking to his addressee, he uses the most common and neutral form of polite address, which is Adonai, my lord, in lower case. The latter meaning escaped Novoselchev, and an English speaker can imagine the discoveries one can make by applying, regardless of the context, a single meaning of the word lord to all its uses in the medieval text. So it is also in Hebrew. The theory of the author's two lords can therefore be discarded as an obvious lapse and a misunderstanding by Novoselchev. The letter's actual date belongs about 20 years before the fall of the Khazarians. Interesting. It was produced on the occasion of Hasdai's emissary's visit to the Byzantine capital, which, in its turn, had for occasion the diplomatic exchange between Caliph of Cordova, Abd ar-Rahman III, and Emperor Constantine VII, of Porphyrogenitus. <laughs> Porphyrogenitus. Marius Canard, oh, that's an interesting last name, Canard. Marius Canard dates the arrival of the Arab legation, which included Hasdai's man of confidence, Isaac Barnathan, in the second half of 948. Okay, so it was a Muslim, a Muslim entourage, which assisted or by, uh, which carried the, the Jewish scribe with them from one from Spain to Constantinople. Isaac stayed in Constantinople for at least six months. Thus, the Geniza letter can be dated circa 949. King Joseph's reply to Hasdai was probably written five to seven years later. B. The Khazars return, unquote, Khazars, quote, return, unquote, to Judaism, the competition of faiths. The beginning of the Geniza letter is missing, but the loss may not be extensive since the fragments preserved starts with the the fragment preserved starts with the arrival of Jews in Khazaria. The author states that the Jews came there from Armenia, fleeing before the idol worshippers whose yoke they were unable to bear, that is the Muslims. The idol worships might well be Christians who, unlike Muslims, were often reproached by Jewish polemicists for worshipping images created by their own hands. 
In any case, the flight of Jews to Gazaria must have preceded the Muslim conquest of Armenia in the late 7th century. Sorry. Okay, I stand corrected. So, yeah, it must be a form of Christianity which the Jewish rabbis were fleeing from into Khazaria. So this letter and this article are providing details about the Khazar conversion that I'm not familiar with. So far, so good. Okay, so let me repeat this last sentence. The idol worshippers might well be Christians who, unlike Muslims, were often reproached by Jewish polemists for worshipping images created by their own hands. In any case, and that was very common in the East, the Orthodox churches still uh, are, you know, idol, well, you call them idol worshippers. What's, uh, what's the common term? In icons. Those churches are full of icons, all right? And the Catholic Church uses icons as well. Only Protestant Christianity refrains from using any sort of icons at all, except possibly a cross. In any case, the flight of Jews to Khazaria must have preceded the Muslim conquest of Armenia in the late 7th century. Yeah, and there was a frequent fighting between the Muslims and the Jews, the Khazars, the Christians, etc., during this point in history. We are then probably in a position to guess what had provoked it. In 628, Byzantium defeated Persia with a crucial help from the Turks who invaded Persian Transcaucasia through the Caspian Gates from a region which in the next few decades was to become the nucleus of independent Khazaria. In 630 to 632, Emperor Heraclius decreed the forced conversion to Christianity of all Jews in his realm. Oh, oh, that has always worked really well. That's how Jews became crypto-Jews, because they refused to convert. But instead of being martyred like the Christians have always done throughout history, they just pretended to convert and practice Judaism on the sly. That's how it works with them. So, Emperor Heraclius decreed the forced conversion of Christianity of all Jews in his realm. This was the first such attempt in the history of the Christian empire. Of course, the Catholics tried to do the same thing with just as little success. No wonder that the Jews of Armenia fled behind the the Caucasus, taking the route shown by the Turkic invaders. The letter states that the Khazars received the newcomers well, but the latter had lost, apparently while fleeing, the written law, and so it happened that they kept but the most rudimentary elements of the Jewish observance, the circumcision, and for some of them also Sabbath. Meanwhile, they intermarried with the inhabitants of the land and became one people. Very good. This really uh, sheds light on how the Khazars were converted to Judaism by these fleeing Jews who were actually, according to the author, running away from Byzantium armies, okay? And the, the forced conversion of Jews to Christianity. The Khazars did not have a king at the time, but would appoint whomever they found successful in battle as commander-in-chief. Once the Jews joined them for a campaign, as was their custom, yeah, the Jews will fight along any side to support, to gain the favor of that king. 
the author forgets that the Jews were completely integrated with the Khazars by then. Okay, so what we have here is a rudimentary form of Judaism in the Khazar kingdom, and they didn't have the Hebrew scriptures with them, just the uh, memories of the rabbis, which, of course, are nothing but Talmudic Judaism, certainly not Mosaic Mosaism or Israelitism. And a Jewish officer achieved a major victory. He was appointed commander-in-chief and kept this position for a long time. The only sign of his Judaism was initially that he was circumcised. Of course, the Khazars would not have been circumcised yet. That's a lot to ask of adult males. (laughs) Thus, then God, supposedly, acting through the chief's wife, Sarah, and her righteous father, stirred his heart to return, quote, return to the full Jewish observance. This decision irritated the Byzantine and the Arab rulers who took action to incite the other officers of Khazaria against Judaism. Okay, so there was potentially a civil war among the Khazars as to whether to adopt Judaism. These details, folks, in this letter, I have never been aware of. So this is an outstanding document. The commander-in-chief initiated in response a competition of faiths. Not Joseph the Bulon, as is commonly reported, but this commander-in-chief, who was in fact a circumcised Jew. The Byzantine and the Arab rulers dispatched their wise men and also the sages of Israel volunteered to participate. Oh, they should have never allowed them to participate. (laughs) The Jews prevailed in the ensuing disputation helped by their holy books, which could be procured from a cave in the Valley of Tizul, just when some point in the argument could not otherwise be resolved. Okay, so maybe the Jews did hide their books in a cave and uh, used them uh, very uh, judiciously. Quote, Then returned Israel with the people of Khazaria to Judaism completely. Well, they're not Israelites. They're, they're Edomites of Hittite origin in the northern steppes of Turkey. And they, they finally migrated to the, the southern steppes of Russia, namely Khazaria, at this point in time. So far, this document is very, very believable and you know, is just a different version of the facts as has been presented by others. The, other const- the author rather constantly uses the terms of return, Ishuba, which designate the repentance of Jews who strayed away from their ancestral law. He avoids any notion of conversion. This brings him to contradiction since he must still occasionally distinguish between Jews and Khazars, allegedly one people. What is more, he makes the Khazars, quote, return to what they have never been. (laughs) Right? There you go. Scholars notice this concept, particularly to the letter, of the Khazars' intrinsic Jewishness, yet often miss its halakhic point. Yeah, if you convert to Judaism, you can be a Jew, but you can't convert to being an Israelite. That is a matter of DNA, not circumcision. The Jewish law considers a convert as a newborn, with no links left to his people and to his family of origin. 
Thus, given that the spread of Judaism among the Khazars was, in reality, more gradual and slow than the letter would admit, though in no way limited to the upper class, applying the proper halakhic notion of conversion to this process would split the people and the clans. Declaring all Khazars to be Jews from birth was, by contrast, a not very elegant not very elegant in the historian's view, but a practical way to save the cohesion of the Khazar people. The existing links remained valid regardless of the fact whether one or other Khazar quote-unquote returned or not to his quote-unquote ancestral right. Okay, so once you convert to Judaism, you become a Jew forever, forever into the past and forever into the future until, of course, the second coming will destroy them and their religion. The competition of faiths is central to the letter's historical survey. It opens the way for the Judaization of the Khazars, and thus is, as we will see, at the origin of a lasting animosity between Khazaria and Byzantium. Fortunately, we have also the Byzantine view of the disputation, which goes back to a personal account of the Christian protagonist, the future apostle to the Slavs, Constantine Cyril. There is no need to dwell on the background and value of the Slavonic life of Constantine, held in mistrust by some 19th century critics because of its late manuscript tradition. This text is now recognized as a first-rate historical document written shortly after the saint's death, 18, oh, sorry, 869, in any case before 882. On the Khazar mission, it quotes profusely Constantine's own written discourses which were translated in Slavonic by his brother Methodius and which are now lost. Methodius, who had accompanied Constantine to the Kagan's court, outlived his younger brother by many years and is presumed to be the source of much of the information in the life, which is the life of Constantine. Produced by missionaries who failed in their mission, this account is openly biased. There is not a word on the Khazars' eventual conversion to Judaism and in all the disputations which are reported at length. Constantine has the upper hand. Yet the life, the life of Constantine, as a contemporary biography, does not feature miracles which did not happen. When Jews and Muslims are defeated point by point and Constantine exhorts the Khazars with tears to accept the baptism or to face the consequences at the last judgment, yeah, the last judgment of the Edomites, his appeal results in an anticlimax. The Khazars procrastinate. It turns out that those carried by Constantine's sermon count no more than 200, and they are allowed to be baptized. Otherwise, the Kagan expresses a polite hope that he might eventually see the light, promises Constantine to ex- execute without delay those, quote, who make the Jewish prayer or stick to the Saracen faith, unquote. This might be the hagiographer's only factual lie and sends him home with an admir- admirative attestation of his for his emperor and 200 liberated Greek prisoners as a bonus. So the ones who converted were actually Greeks. <laughs> they were Greek prisoners. Okay, so forget the Khazar conversion to Christianity altogether. The Geniza letter 
and the life are biased each in its own way, and yet both accord a crucial weight to the completion of faiths, or competition of faiths. The latter represents, presents it as a major diplomatic event to which the Byzantine and the Arab kings send representatives of their religions. For the chief officer, the vindication of his faith in a disputation is the only way to overcome the internal opposition to the, quote, return to Judaism. The life describes for its part the arrival of the Kagan's ambassadors to the emperor. The Khazars announce that they confess one God and in turn to the east while praying. Traits which convince the author of the life of their affinity with the Christians, just as a Jew could take them for proof of their primitive Judaism but are now exhorted by Jews and Saracens to adapt their respective faith and customs. The ambassadors profess their respect for the Christian empire and invite it to be represented vowing a fair play. If its envoy prevails, the Khazars undertake to embrace Christianity. Two minor details enhance the parallelism between the two accounts. According to the life Constantine confronts before his official Jewish opponents a local shrewd man. The man objects to the way the Byzantines appoint their kings from different families, as opposed to us, the Khazars, who keep one of the same family in power. His other reproach concerns the way the Christians use books in disputation, hold them in the hands, and take pride in them. As for us, he claims, we carry the wisdom inside as if having swallowed it, like the Jews. Constantine knocks him down with a simple question. How many generations there were from Adam to Moses and how many years each generation lasted? Which the man is unable to answer. If he is a Khazar, though, why should he know the biblical generations? If he is a Jew, why this disdain for books? The answer can be found in the Geniza letter. Constantine met, no doubt, one of the Khazar Jews who held to a rudimentary bookless form of Judaism, so-called oral tradition, which we know is totally fake, before the so-called return to the proper Jewish observance. So the rabbis had to come with their Jewish Talmuds later on. In the course of the disputation, the Khazar leaders qualify themselves appropriately as a bookless crowd. (laughs) Nevertheless, they appeal to the holy books as the supreme authority. This contradictory presentation could be explained away as a misstatement by the author of the life of Constantine if the Geniza letter did not feature the same apparent contradiction. When a crucial point in the disputation cannot otherwise be resolved, it is the pagan leaders of Khazaria who give the order to produce the books of the Torah of Moses, unquote, from the cave in the valley of Tizul. Like in the life, the Khazar rulers are well aware of the authority of the books and moreover know exactly where to find them. Given the political implications of the Khagan's religious choice, this is not surprising. The Jewish sages had obviously arrived way ahead of the Christians, and the Muslim missionaries had prepared the ground for the disputation. Very interesting. Although neither text puts it that way, Constantine was actually invited to play a game which had been rigged in advance. Well, that's not unusual. (laughs) Isn't that how the Jews always operate? Rigging the game? Anticipating this disputation? 
So, folks, we are uh, we are at war with these these evil Khazar Edomites. Let's continue. The competition of faiths is also described in the reply of King Joseph to Hazdai ibn Shaprut at the beginning of Yehuda Halevi's famous treatise, La Kuzari, and from the Arab standpoint, by Al-Bakri. All sources agree that only one disputation took place. Now, this is very interesting because we have Arab, Christian, Jewish, and Khazar accounts of these events. So, there is absolutely no, no possible denial that the Khazars converted to Judaism. And they were never Jews to begin with. Certainly never Israelites. Certainly never Shemites. But neither are the Jews. So, this art of pretense was given to the Khazars by the Jews. And, of course, they accepted it with relish. Or maybe I should say chutzpah. Anyway, so let, let me repeat this here. The competition of faiths is also described in the reply of King Joseph to Hazdai ibn Shaprut at the beginning of Yehuda Halevi's famous treatise, the Kuzari, and from the Arab standpoint by al-Bakri. So we have the Jewish, Khazar, and Arab standpoints in these, in these documents. All sources agree that only one disputation took place. Thus, the Geniza letter and the life of Constantine tell the story of one and the same event. If so, we could know its date. To prepare for his mission in Khazaria, Constantine spent a winter studying Hebrew in Kherson. That is C-H-E-R-S-O-N. He also profited from this stay in order to recover and to transfer inside the city the relics of Pope Clement, whose traditional burial place was neglected by the Chersonites for fear of venturing outside the city walls. Constantine's personal account of this memorable event, preserved in a Slavonic translation, bears the date of January 30th, 861. The disputation of the Kagan, at the Kagan's court must have then taken place in the summer of the same year. So, 861. So, the traditional date that is given for the conversion of the Khazars as being around 740 A.D., that's the date given in the 13th tribe by the Jewish author, whose name escapes me at the moment. And uh, But nevertheless, because of his research, the, the community that studies these things has settled on the date of 740 A.D., or thereabouts. So according to, to these two independence letters, it was more like 861. This conclusion seems to be obvious, but it is not. The Khazar's conversion was dated 860 by Joseph Marquardt, followed by George Vernadsky. Marquardt quoted, in addition to the life of Constantine, the commentary on Matthew by Christian of Stavelot, who contrasts two recent conversions among the nations of Gog and Magog. While one mighty nation is circumcised and observes the entire Judaism, another, the Bulgars, is now being baptized. The reference to the baptism of Bulgaria is, as taking place at the time of writing dates Christian's treatise in the late 18, 860s and makes it the earliest testimony on the Khazars' conversion. One could add that at the first, 
Arab writer to mention that the Khazars became Jews is Ibn al-Faqih, F-A-K-I-H, circa 903, who specifies that they only did so lately. Nevertheless, Marquardt's chronology has been solidly rejected by the students of Khazar history in favor of a much earlier date quoted in Hebrew and Arabic sources. True, no one could make sense of the indication in the long version of King Joseph's reply, placing the conversion 340 years beforehand. Since Joseph wrote circa 955, this would make a Muslim Qadi participate in a competition of faith circa 615, years before the Hegira. Yet, Yehuda Halevi's date, about 400 years before this time, that is, circa 740, has been accorded more credence and appears that th- that date is in fact false. But we'll see. <laughs> Maybe there was a kind of a gentleman's agreement. I use the term facetiously. Gentleman's agreement between the Jews and the Khazars at that date? Possibly. And al-Masudi's indication that the king of the Khazars had already become a Jew in the caliphate of Harun al-Rashid, 786-809, has generally been taken for reliable. Neither of these dates carries much weight in itself. Yehuda Halevi, writing circa 1140, uses the Khazars' conversion as a setting for his theological treatise, yet shows little knowledge of the Khazar history. As for al-Masudi, circa 943, his dating appears in a somewhat confused resume of a more detailed account in a work which is no longer preserved. Detached from its historical context, this date is difficult to build upon, although we will see at the end of this chapter which tradition it may reflect. The two dates diverge widely. If, nevertheless... They are preferred to the much earlier testimony of the life of Constantine. This is because they appear to be corroborated by what is considered to be the most authoritative source on the conversions, King Joseph's reply. So, what is the actual date of King Joseph's reply? Maybe the article will get into this. King Joseph's story of the conversion differs from the one in the letter, Rather than have it inspired by a Jewish wife who convinced the commander-in-chief that he was actually a Jew, the reply features an angel of God who appears to the Khazar king, Bulan, and guides him in his pious undertaking. Bulan is the title of the Khazar king, and Joseph was his name. What is more, we read in the reply that the Jewish religion was introduced in Khazaria in two stages. The actual conversion, which involved the competition of faiths, took place on the instigation of King Bulan. Later, though, quote, there arose from the sons of his sons a king, Ovadiah by name, righteous and straight, and he renovated the kingdom and established the law according to the religion and the halakha. Now, of course, halakha is nothing more than Jewish tradition. It's definitely not the tradition of Moses. He built synagogues and seminaries, and he gathered plenty of sages of Israel and gave them plenty of gold and silver, and they explained to him the 24 books of the Bible, the Mishnah, the Talmud, 
that the use of the prayer books by the cantors, obviously, folks, the Talmud had to be involved. And he feared God and loved the Torah and the commandments, all the commandments, including the Talmudic commandments, etc. 11 in the short version, or 12 in the long version, more names of kings of the dynasty follow. Much of the modern reconstruction of the Khazar history focus on this double-dip conversion. Scholars speculate on the nature of Bulan's Judaism as opposed to Ovadiah, whose rabbinic orthodoxy cannot be questioned. Bulan is sometimes described as a self-styled prophet, or worse, a Karaite. Oh, really? A Karaite. The Karaites are those Samaritans who have rejected the Talmud 100%, they claim to be Israelites, and they use only the Mosaic law, namely our our scriptures, not the Jewish scriptures. So that's that's really a, a cut, <laughs> an insult to call a, call a Jew a Karaite. Soviet historians were pro- prone to look for the social forces behind Obadiah's reform. His very Jewish orthodoxy made him a natural champion of the interests of international Jewish capital. Yehuda Halevi's date circa 740, was applied to the conversion of Bulan while al-Masudi's vague under Harun al-Rashid was reserved for Ovidiah. Okay, so it appears that the earlier date of 740 is, in fact, a mistake. Let's continue. The long list of Khazar Jewish kings, which appears in the reply, adds to the argument for an early conversion. Again, considering the author's statement that one's quote-unquote, return is a, a Jewish trick when, in fact, the Khazars never returned to Judaism. They converted to it. But this is the language of the rabbis, and you have to understand that the language of the rabbis is always deceitful. The long list of Khazar Jewish kings, which appears in the re- reply, adds to the argument for an early conversion. One cannot comfortably fit more than 15 kings in less than a century between 861 and the date of the reply, circa 955. Marquardt solved the problem by dismissing the reply out of hand as a medieval fake. Yet such global skepticism is now out of fashion. No one contests anymore that the two preserved versions, however much tampered with by later editors, go back to an authentic 10th century document. Fortunately, in the part that concerns us here, we have the means to get an idea of its original tenor. The story of the conversion, as told in very similar terms in the long and short version of the reply, lacks coherence. Indeed, Bulan's action is presented as a complete shift of Khazaria to Judaism. And of course, the author here is arguing, no, that this was a slower process, probably instigated by an earlier conversation between a rabbi and uh, Joseph the Bulan. Bulan brought sages of Israel and they explained to him the Torah and arranged for the observance of all the commandments. Till this day we observe this venerable and true law. May God's name be blessed forever. So maybe there was a, 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 a coterie of rabbis that talked to Joseph the Bulan. Maybe a, a part of his court was converted, maybe not but certainly not the entire nation. Till this day we observe this venerable and true law. May God's name be blessed forever. 
From the day that our fathers entered under the wings of God's presence, he subjugated before us all our enemies and humbled every nation and tongue around us, etc. So obviously the Jews are borrowing Israelite history, borrowing the Bible, which does not belong to them, but belongs to us, etc. Thus the conversion instigated by Bulon and carried out by the sages of Israel, or the Jewry, was not only comprehensive, but also efficient on the political and military level. It assured without a hitch the good fortunes of the country. The yeah, they would become rich through Jewish usury. The description of Ovidiah's reform comes straight afterwards as a total surprise. How can one claim a strict observance of the Jewish law since the days of Bulon if this law was only properly established by Ovidiah? What could be meant by saying that Bulon's sages taught the Khazar's Torah and all the commandments, which is the very definition of Judaism? If the most basic religious instruments and institutions were introduced for the first time by the second set of sages under Ovidiah. Again, the Jews distort history. That's commonplace for them. The description of Bulon's conversion, rather than pre prepare the reader for the second stage, makes any further religious reform superfluous. This makes me wonder whether both passages belong to one and the same author. Well, no, you have to understand that the Jews always lie. Maybe this author doesn't understand that. Recent students of the conversion feel uneasy about Ovidiah and his reform. Peter Golden warns that the mention of the king Ovidiah, put in quotation marks by Golden, in the reply, must be used with considerable caution. Possibly acting on this prudent counsel, Novoselchev barely mentions Ovidiah. Yet this intuitive mistrust would not take as far if it could be, not be substantiated by philological evidence. This evidence is contained in the halakhic responsum, produced circa 1100 by Rabbi Yehuda ben Barzillai of Barcelona, which quotes King Joseph extensively. This earliest, and we're running out of time, but this is good stuff, this earliest reference to the reply shows that Rabbi Yehuda disposed of a text which differed substantially from the one we read in the versions preserved. The halakhic context of the quotation can be resumed here shortly. Rabbi Yehuda upholds the orthodox view that no sacrifices are allowed after the destruction of the Jewish temple, yet must admit that according to the reply, sacrifices were practiced by the Khazars. The rabbi first toys with the idea of denying the Khazars' very Jewishness. Gentiles are allowed to sacrifice to one god, yet rejects this solution since the evidence for their conversion is overwhelming. In addition, well, there would have been a lot of Khazars who just didn't want to do it, right? <laughs> they were still wanting their old pagan traditions. In addition to King Joseph's reply, it includes a letter written by a Jew from Constantinople in his own language, obviously in Greek, which Rabbi Yehuda could read in translation and which attested to the fact that the Khazars converted to Judaism and had kings who were converts, as well as testimonies of Muslim writers. Yehuda ben Barzillai presents his excuses for dwelling on stories which sound more like anecdotes, yet his logic is clear. He needs to establish for sure that the Khazars were Jews in order to show that the evidence on sacrifices that they allegedly performed presents a halakhic problem and merits discussion.
This is why the responsum ends with a long quotation from the reply, which describes the conversion of the Khazars. Again, folks, as we have been saying all along, you cannot convert to being an Israelite. You cannot convert to being a Shemite. You cannot convert to being a Hebrew. Getting circumcised does not mean anything in terms of conversion. You have to be of the bloodline to be any of those, as the Bible clearly says. Judaism does not adhere to that law. Judaism is a fake, absolute 100% fake. And anybody, any Jew who accepts the, the conversion of the Khazars into their religion is simply admitting to the fact that he, she, or it does not obey Yahweh's laws as expressly pointed out in the Bible. So we stand on very firm ground in, number one, proclaiming that the Khazars did convert to Judaism, that they are not Shemites, that they are not Hebrews, that they are not Israelites, but are in fact Japhethites, who converted from their pagan religion to Judaism in this era, whether it be 740 A.D. or 869 A.D., doesn't matter. They converted to a religion. They did not convert to a genome, which is impossible to do anyway. Folks, this letter and this correspondence proves our point conclusively that the Ashkenazi people, of whom Netanyahu is one, and of course the Zionists and the communists who invented these two institutions, Zionism and Communism, are in fact non-Shemitic, non-Hebrew, non-Israelite Khazars. Period. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, pass the ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye.